Amen. This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians, the first chapter, verses 9 through 14. Listen to the word of God. Because of this, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you might you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. He made it so you could take part in the inheritance and light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A couple things, just as we get started here. One, I was filling up my water cup right as the Scripture was being read and spilled it all over myself. Uh, just want to reassure you that it's water uh, and nothing else. Second thing is this. Uh, we may need to go over the ground rules of what is an appropriate donation and what isn't. Because uh, I feel like somebody may have given some syrup that's been used a little. Or, option number two, Montgomery got hungry earlier. So, uh, we're just gonna, I'm just going to set this one off to the side and uh, praise God for the opportunity that was, that was there. Uh, so the story goes that a, a farmer was out plowing his field one day. And he prayed and he said, God, I want to know what your will for my life is. And he, he looked up in the clouds and he saw P.C. And he said, oh my goodness. I have been called to preach Christ. So he left his tractor in the field. And he went out and he started to preach. And he went anywhere that they would have him and he preached and he preached and he preached. And church, he was really bad at it. I mean, bad. Not only did he get discouraged, people walked out of church with less hope than they walked in with. It was bad. About a year goes by. One of the farmer's buddies is driving by the old farm. He looks out and he sees the farmer back on his tractor plowing the fields again. He walks up to him and he says, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? You said that you've been called to preach Christ. And the farmer said, Well, after further reflection, I discovered that I've actually been called to plant corn We're in a sermon series called Why. If God is good and God is powerful, why? Why does evil exist? Why do innocent people suffer? Why are there times in our lives where our prayers go unanswered? And this morning, we're asking another why question. Why is it sometimes hard to find God's will? Why can it be hard to find God's will? Have you had this experience before? Aren't earnestly seeking after the will of God and you say, I, I just don't know what the will of God is. Do you, do you agree that it can be hard to find God's will? Good. 
want to engage this question. Why is it so hard to find God's will? But as, as we jump into this question today, I think there is an inherent second question behind the first one. And it's this. What do we mean when we say the phrase God's will? What do we mean by this? William Shakespeare in Act 2, Scene 7 of As You Like It says, All the world is a stage. Men and women are merely players. We have our exits and entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. Many of us, when we think about the will of God, we think about God having generated a script for our lives. Is that what we mean by the will of God? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So the goal is to figure out why is it hard to find God's will. And in order to do that, we've got to ask the question, what do we mean by God's will? So I want to spend a few minutes with us this morning trying to figure out when we say God's will, what do we mean? A couple of different options. One is we could talk about God's predetermined will, or some would say God's predestined will. And the idea of God's predetermined or God's predestined will is this. That God wrote out a script in advance, and you and I have no alternative but to follow the script. God knows what you're going to have for breakfast three weeks from now, and there's nothing you can do about it. God's predetermined will. God predestined it to be so. I want to highlight a couple of of challenges that I would raise to this idea of God having a predetermined or predestined will. Issue number one I raised last time that we were gathered together. And uh, it's this. If, If God wrote the script, and you and I have no alternative but to follow that script, if God's script is a predetermined one, then that must mean that God wrote evil into the story. God wrote the Holocaust. God wrote the killing fields. God wrote September 11th. God wrote the events of Sandy Hook. I struggle mightily with that idea that God wrote these things into the story, the narrative of the world. Second challenge I have with this idea of God's predetermined will is this. If God has decided everything that you're going to do and I'm going to do in my life, what's the point? So, uh, to illustrate this, I'm a, I'm a fan of the University of Tennessee football program. They were beaten like a drum yesterday by the University of Georgia. Uh, but when I was in high school, Peyton Manning was the quarterback at the University of Tennessee. And this is a guy, if you're not familiar with football, he revolutionized the way football is played. I could go on for half an hour about how he did it, but when he came in the National Football League, uh, there were eight teams that never took a snap from the shotgun when he finished his career, teams took snaps from the shotgun about 40% of the time. He revolutionized it. To this day, he holds the single season and career passing yards records. He holds single season and career touchdown records. He was amazing. And it wasn't because he was, he was stronger than anybody or could throw the ball better. He just, he worked hard. He was so smart. I, I just, I loved watching him play. And, and I still, to this day, I love to watch the, the, the Vols play, even when they lose. But sometimes I have to work on Saturday afternoons. So I'll, I'll record the game, and I'll come down off of, of the stage when I'm finished doing whatever I'm doing here, and inevitably I'll say to somebody, because I'm not very patient, I'll say, hey, do you know what the score of the Tennessee game is? And then once I find out, if they won or lost, I don't want to watch the game. Because if they lost, I don't want to spend three hours of my life watching a team I know is going to lose. I'm not a Cleveland Browns fan, Amen. And if they win, it somehow takes, 
It takes the pleasure out of the moment. I don't want to spend three hours when I already know the outcome. So if God has planned things from the beginning, if it's predetermined, what's the point? Third concern I have about a predetermined, a predestined will that you and I have no alternative but to follow. The third concern I have about this is what right does God have to judge us if all we have done is what God planned for us to do? Adolf Hitler isn't guilty of doing anything other than following God's plan if God predestined everybody's plan. So, for these reasons and others, I I struggle to think about God's will in the, the formulation of God's predetermined will. So, let's discover another option. A second option is to think about God's permissive will. God's permissive will. What does this mean? Well, the idea of God's permissive will is that God still wrote a script. But now, you and I have the opportunity to decide, are we going to follow the script or are we not going to follow the script? God knows what you're supposed to have for breakfast three weeks from now, but you get to decide whether or not you're going to have it. The, the first problem I have with the permissive will, and I like the permissive will more than the predetermined will, but I still have some problems with the permissive will. And the first problem I have by articulating God's will as God's permissive will, that God wrote a script and we have a choice to follow it, is God did not give me a copy of the script. Right? So, following our breakfast analogy, three weeks from now, I could be sitting at my favorite breakfast diner trying to decide, oh no, does God want me to have biscuits and gravy or French toast for breakfast? Now we all know God wants you to have biscuits and gravy, amen? But God didn't give us a copy of the plan. And so if God doesn't give me a copy of the plan, how can I follow it? The second problem I have, though, is an even bigger problem. If if God's permissive will means that God wrote a script for my life and yours, and we have the option whether to follow that will or not, what happens when I step off the path? Because when I step off of my plan, it's, inher- it's, it's necessarily going to impact your plan. Let me give you an example. Let's say that God called Rob to be a pastor. <clears throat> and God said, Rob, I want you to be the best pastor you can possibly be, so I am sending you to the finest school of theology in the world, the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, which just happens to be where, in fact, I did go to seminary. But let's say that I say to God, uh, God, I don't really want to go all the way down there to Atlanta. It's hot. I'll, I'll go to a lesser school of theology. Like, I don't know, Duke, where Mark Montgomery went. <laughs> so God's plan had been for me to go down to Emory. But instead of going to Emory in Atlanta, I go to Duke. And so... The reason this this gets complicated is because God's plan had been for me to meet Mrs. Wright down at Emory. But I didn't go down to Emory. I went to Duke, where I met Mrs. Allwright. People said, how is she? She's all right. So we get married. We have children. Now, is there a plan for my children? Because... The plan was that those kids would never exist. The plan was for me to go to Emory. I didn't go to Emory. I went to Duke. I didn't marry Miss Wright. I married Miss Allwright. I had children that never should have existed. Does God now have a plan for them? I struggle with this idea 
this metaphor of the script, but since we're in it this far, I, I want to use it to perhaps bring a little, a little sense to our whimsy. I want to bring up the third possibility. God's predetermined will, God's permissive will. A third possibility is something called God's prescriptive will. What does God's prescriptive will mean? God's prescriptive will. Uh, prescription is, is uh, something given to us by an expert in a field. So my wife's a family practice doc. If, if you were sick, she could give you a prescription. She's an expert. She's going to help you get healthy again. Uh, our financial advisors could give us prescriptions that we would follow to become uh, more fruitful and faithful in our financial lives. God, all throughout the Bible, gives us prescriptions about how we should live. They are things among the most famous. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother so you may live a long life in the land which the Lord your God has given unto you. Jesus summarized all the prescriptions in Scripture by giving us two commands with three directions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. What if, instead of thinking about God's plan as God having written a script for your life and mine, what if we said that God has just written an outline? God has, has given us parameters within which to live. Let's step back. Why would God even do this? That's a good question. In our reading this morning from the church at Coloss- in the, the letter of Colossians, uh, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, We haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So Paul's prayer is that they will understand God's will. Why does Paul want them to understand God's will? Check this out. So that, if you see a so that in the Bible, pay attention. So that. I want you to know God's will so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him in every way, by producing fruit. Lives that are worthy, lives that please God, lives that bear fruit. Jesus called the worthy life the abundant life. When, when we talk about why is it that God gives us prescriptions, why is it that God gives us guidelines into which we, our lives could, could, could be lived, the reason God does this is because God wants us to live abundant lives which bring glory to God and bear much fruit on the earth. God wants us to live lives that are abundant, that bring glory to God, and that bear much fruit. We've been talking about the literary metaphor for a second. Would you indulge me in changing metaphors as we talk about God's will? Instead of thinking about the metaphor of of writer, is God writing an outline for our lives or a script for our lives, what what if we placed God in the role of parent? I have two children. A six-year-old son, a three-year-old little girl. Uh, and my wife and I are, are, are doing our best to raise these children in such a way as to give them all manner of opportunity in their lives and, and create a space for them to be holy and happy. Uh, and some of the things that I know is that I want my children to have a sense of self-respect. I do. And one day, many years from now, they may decide that they would like to get married. They don't have to. They could live perfectly acceptable lives not getting married. But if they decided to get married, my hope is that they pick a spouse who is going to edify them and not tear them down. Who's going to add to this sense of their self-worth rather than diminish the sense of self-worth. Those are things I want for my kids. But I don't want to pick their spouse. Whoa!
Did God plan that? Uh, I put a lot of work into the sermon, so if you could come back to me, I would appreciate this. Uh, we were talking about the fact that, that God, uh, God gives us these, these, God, God as kind of like parent, and how as a parent, I have these dreams for my children, right? I want my children to, to be in relationships that are edifying to them and not destructive to them. But that being said, I don't want to pick my child's spouse for them, right? Uh, I, I want my kids to have all kinds of opportunities in this world, all kinds of opportunities in this world. And I know that in order for them to, to have the benefit that I have, which is to wake up every day and be energized by what they do, I know that very likely in order for them to have that opportunity, they're, they're going to need to get an education. And so I want my children to get a really good education in their lives. But that doesn't mean that I care where they go to school, as long as it's not due. I, I want my kids to be fulfilled in their work, but I don't want to make the decision about their occupation for them. I think this is the way that God interacts with us. I think God establishes certain parameters. Love me. Love one another. Love yourselves. And within the broad scope of that outline, God gives us great freedom to inhabit a myriad of possibilities that will ultimately... Help us live an abundant life, bring glory to God, and bear much fruit. Now, if you're paying attention to this today, you could say, you know, preacher, what you're articulating, if you take it to the the end, you could be advocating for kind of an absentee landlord kind of God. That God just gives us parameters in which to live and then walks away. No! I think God is incredibly, incredibly involved in our lives. Let me give you an illustration from my own life. A few weeks ago, I went to watch my beloved University of Tennessee volunteers play football at a wing place that shall not be named. And I walked in the door wearing my University of Tennessee jersey, and there was a table of other people wearing University of Tennessee regalia. We did not know each other, but they saw me walk in and they said, hey man, come and sit with us. Being the social butterfly that I am, I did so. I sat down, I finished my wings, I was sipping my unsweet tea, watching my volunteers play, when it became apparent to me that the people with whom I was sitting were members of Mount Ararat Baptist Church. And I said, I got to go. I I make jokes from time to time about Mount Ararat. You probably don't know this, but the first first Sunday, Andy and I were in town. Uh, We actually went to Mount Ararat. And uh, the way they welcomed us, the quality of their worship, it was excellent. They're good people trying to do God's will, and I'm glad we're partners in ministry. I mean, if we ever get a pumpkin cannon, I'm, sh- I'm going to shoot a pumpkin at them, right? <laughs> but when I make jokes about them, I do it in jest. And so I looked over at these people, and I said, listen, I can't sit with you guys anymore. I, I just came on staff at Ebenezer. And the guy sitting right across the table from me said, are you the new senior pastor at Ebenezer? I said, yes, I am. He said, I'm the executive director of Serve. I said, What? He said, I've been trying to think, I've been trying to figure out a way to get in touch with you because I'd like for us to dream about how we can, how we can make a bigger impact on the local community. And I said, I've been thinking about getting in touch with you because I want to dream about how we can make a bigger impact on the local community. I thought I went to the wing place that shall not be named to watch football. No. God was involved 
It wasn't a coincidence. It was a God incidence. And the game kept going. And by the way, Tennessee won double overtime. It was awesome. But the game kept going on. And he and I kind of forgot about the game. And we started dreaming about the kingdom of God. Why? Because God is very much involved in our lives. I believe this. I believe that rather than having to to be constricted by the idea of a script that God has generated for us, that a better understanding is to say that God has established certain parameters within which God has given us great freedom. I believe that to be true. But, there are some of us at different times in our lives who would argue vehemently back against this why. Why do we hold so tightly to this idea of a script? I think I know why. I'm keenly keenly aware of the fact that every week in in worship, whether it's present here with us or or watching online, I'm keenly aware that there are people engaged in worship with us here who have had an incredibly difficult time, who have said goodbye to somebody they love, who discovered that they're... Their spouse is having an affair, who may be moving towards a divorce, who, uh, I, I don't know, have been diagnosed with some kind of sickness. There's all kinds of, of people that come into our doors each week that need a word of grace. And when we encounter those darkest moments in our lives, there are times that it can feel comforting to us to believe that, that God knows what the next chapter is going to look like. But here's the thing. In my darkest moment, I don't have to know what is in the next chapter. I just have to know there's going to be a next chapter. I don't have to know what the comeback's going to look like. I just have to know that our God is always a God of comebacks. This happens all throughout the Bible. When Joseph was sitting in the Egyptian jail cell, he had no way of knowing that in just a matter of months he would be placed in charge of all Egypt. When the Hebrew children were led into captivity in Babylon, they had no way of knowing that within 50 years their children would return to the holy mountain singing praises to God, that there they would construct a temple in the shadow of which one day the Messiah himself would preach. Mary and John had no idea when they walked away from the cross on Friday night that by Sunday morning Jesus Christ would come back from the grave and conquer death and hell. My brothers and sisters, we don't have to know what the next chapter holds. We have to know there is a next chapter. And beyond that, we have to know that the final chapter is a chapter dripping with hope. So, why is it sometimes hard to find God's will? Maybe because we've used the wrong imagery to conceive of God's will. We've thought that God wrote a script for our lives. When instead, God gave us parameters to love God, neighbor, self. And within those parameters, great freedom to live an abundant life, to bring glory to God, and to bear much fruit on the earth. And regardless of what we face in our lives, as people of Christ, we know the final chapter has already been written. And it's filled with hope. Next week, we will conclude our series called Why, as we ask perhaps the single most important why question in the world. Why the love of God will always prevail. I hope you'll be back with us next week for a season of great hope.
Let us join in prayer together. Holy God, for the moments in our lives 